0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle, along with Rachel Santizo. Hi, Rachel. And this is one of the, the most watched podcasts dealing with addiction and recovery. And it's always an honest look at the issues. And as always, we begin with talking about Rachel's fashion statement for the day, or maybe I should say social statement. What, what we, we talk about her T-shirt that she's wearing every, every day. What is it?
1: Yeah, I like that. So thank you. Um, today I'm wearing you can't really see it, but it says Reverence Tattoo. And I'm wearing it because they're good friends of mine. Um, specifically Matt Crawley that works there. He's actually a graduate of Odyssey House and he's changed his life around and just opened his new shop, which is Reverence Tattoo. And they stand for they really help out in the community and people and they've um, They are the best tattoo artists and the best men that I have ever met. And they do have females that work there as well. And I'm all about female empowerment. Um, The ones that I know specifically are males, but they do a fantastic job and they are just all around. They are are all around talented inside and out. And so if you're interested in ink, I would definitely go to
0: Reverence Tattoo. Well, now I don't mean to embarrass you, but do you have any tattoos you can show us?
1: I, well, thank you for asking. So my whole arm, so I have tattoos on my arm okay. and I started getting them when I became sober and I wear it on my sleeve for a reason. And I actually, so Matt Crowley has done all of this work and I actually just got some more added. And so this part, and this is for my grandson, Alice, so this really means a lot to me and you can't really tell right now because it's still wrapped but the only person that I will go to for my artwork is Matt Crowley. So I and, do
0: and other than giving you a t-shirt he didn't pay you to say this, right?
1: I actually paid
0: him. Yeah, well, I <laughs> just want to make sure that we're being honest with this podcast. One yeah. little news note that I came across that I want to share with people and it's not because Although we are in favor of people getting vaccinated uh, against COVID-19, the CDC just came out with a with a thing yesterday uh, saying that people who are suffering or who are dealing with a substance use disorder uh, should really, really think about getting vaccinated because they are at a higher risk of uh, getting a severe infection if they get COVID-19 because they're their immune system is already compromised because of the substance use and the substance use may also have damaged some of your organs which could cause more severe damage if you get COVID-19. So, so they're suggesting if, you, if you're using drugs, you, you should probably get vaccinated uh, just to protect against you know, a serious reaction to COVID-19, serious effects or even death.
1: That makes sense to me. So, you know, alcohol and liver and then Hep C, HIV, or also if you're smoking meth or
0: smoking heroin. Right.
1: Um, so that makes sense.
0: So go out and get your vaccination. Okay. Yes. We already have ours, right? Yes, we do. And at some right. time in the future, we will be able to be in a studio and actually see each other in person.
1: And I feel like this is going to be coming sooner than later.
0: I sure hope so. Yes, yeah. Uh, Who do we have today you you've lined up our guest.
1: Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited. So today we have Andy Torgerson and he I met him at fit to recover. And every time I see this gentleman, he makes me smile. It is so important that the positivity that you surround yourself with, and I look forward because our weeks can be long, and I see him on Saturday morning, and so I know when I walk into the gym that I'm just going to smile because he is just so positive and uplifting. And so I'm excited for him to bring some of this flavor to the show today. So without further ado, Andy.
0: There he is gosh uh wow thank you so much rachel um boy with an intro like that it's hard to live up to it you know yeah
2: i mean um yeah that certainly made me smile um look at him but um no i i am so grateful um that she asked me to be on this show so thank you so much
0: so so, let's uh, introduce yourself to our audience by telling us a little about your story, your background, and where you, where you were and where you are now. Okay, um, yeah. So, um,
2: yeah. Once again, thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess I'll just take a quick, quick side note. Um, this is something that you know for a, for a while. Uh, you know I kind of told my bio towards the end of my recovery centers stay, but I've been really hesitant to kind of say my own story. Um, I was especially like it in IOP because it's something I've really worked on is comparing traumas. And I always thought that maybe, maybe my story couldn't really help anyone and really no one could resonate with it because I didn't think that I had the same traumas that so many maybe addicts or alcoholics had. And that's something that I've had to really learn and try and pick up on to not compare traumas and what I felt was real. And if it was traumatic to me, then it it, it was a trauma. And it was something that I felt and it's something that I need to continue to embrace and work through. Um, And that's something that I continue to work on and not, not compare someone else's trauma to my trauma. Um, so now I, I really enjoy, um, sharing my story and I I don't know how much it can help others. I don't know how much people can relate to it, but I know that it does help me and it helps my recovery. Sure. So, um, but yeah, so, um, I'm 31. Um, I'm divorced. I have a beautiful little three-year-old girl. Um, I grew up in South Salt Lake and, um, I'm the youngest of three. And when I was a month old, I had open heart surgery to save my life. And so for the first two years of my life, I wasn't able to really be taken anywhere. Um, I just was at home and I was always with my parents and that kind of, um, being the baby of the family, being really sheltered when I was young, that kind of set the pace for my childhood. And I want to make it clear from the get-go, I'm never blaming anyone else for anything. Um, My parents are amazing. They've been amazing. But I was very, very sheltered and babied. I was very, very much kind of controlled on what I could do. And so... Um, At a very young age, I was just scared of many, many things. I was very anxious all the time. I was scared to leave the house. I remember as early as kindergarten and first grade, I would throw up every single morning before school. I would be very anxious to be around people. Um, My mom actually kind of invented snack time at 10 a.m. at my school because um, I couldn't eat in the mornings before school because if I ate, I threw up it just, um, everything I did, I was so anxious. And so that kind of carried with me um, for a long time. And um, throughout my younger years, I was always kind of, I felt really awkward. I never felt like I fe- um, I fit in. I always felt like I was kind of the kid in the corner, um, just, just kind of watching. And um, I was just anxious and scared and nervous all the time. Um, I'm not sure. So basically, I, st- I got into sports, and that was kind of the first thing that made me feel normal. But because it was the first thing that made me feel normal, I had to have it. Like, I had to be good at sports, So that intensity and that anxiety and that nervousness, it carried over into sports. Like I throw up in garbage cans before games. And some of these habits are still things that I'm trying to work through and and build towards. But um, basically, um, because I was kind of teased and picked on a lot and kind of shy and didn't have a, a ton of friends other than the ones I kind of played sports with. I considered myself doing good habits at the time when I was young. I considered myself kind of working hard in sports or working hard towards school, but I was always doing it with kind of hate in my heart. I was always doing it like gritting my teeth, like, oh, I'll prove you wrong. Oh, I'll prove you wrong. And just um, just envious of others and feeling like a victim myself. So even though I thought I was like doing all these positive things and working hard, I was doing it with like such bad intentions that I was still feeling so lonely and it wasn't making me feel satis- satisfied and it wasn't really giving me um, um, self esteem. When my baseball career ended, now, and I apologize, I'm not completely sure how quick you want me to go through things.
1: You're doing fantastic.
2: Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And
1: I think the interesting part is generally when we start off, it's like the control is like negative, right? Or it came from this like deep, dark space and your control actually came from good intentions and like a healthy space. And so you're doing amazing, Andy.
0: But, I appreciate that, Rach. Thank you. And, and you know, the other observation, Andy, that I, I, I'm making so far is that almost every single, you, you you were talking about whether your situation is different than other people's, almost every single person we talk to, and myself included, uh, mm-hmm. talks about feeling insecure or not fitting in at a very early age. It's really interesting that everybody says that.
2: No, no. Um... Yeah, for sure, and that's that's um, interesting enough. Though growing up, I kind of, I just, I always did what I was told. So um, you know, I I believed the schools and you know the teachers, and when they said drugs and alcohol was bad, I I believed it. And it honestly, I mean, it, that stuff scared me to death. Um, it wasn't until I was um, I was actually twenty one and I was an adult. And my baseball career kind of ended and I was really bitter about it. I thought I was still good enough to keep playing. And um, I was really just dissatisfied with my life, dissatisfied with the things going on, feeling like, you know, bitter. I was, I had been kind of a victim my whole life. I, and I put myself in that victimhood and um, I was like, well, gosh, look at some of my friends, look at some of the people I hang out with. They seem to have it all going on. And I had never had a girlfriend. I had never experienced so many things my friends had. So then when they started offering me drinks, I was like, their life seems a lot better than mine. I'm always anxious all the time. I mean, what the hell? Um, So it was at a a Utah football game when I was 21, um, the first time I got uh, drunk, and the day was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, For the first time in my whole entire life, I was not feeling anxious. I wasn't scared to meet people. I was talking to people like I had known them my whole life. I was confident in the things I was doing. And I went to a party that night and I was talking to people from high school that I had never said two words to my entire life. They had always intimidated me. I talked to the captain of the basketball team from high school and the captain of the cheerleaders. And I went home that night and I was like, oh my gosh, like socially, this, this is the cure. This is, I I found the cure. This, I got it. So Um, for the next couple years, um, that's, you know, I, I was still pretty good during the week, but I socially drank a lot and I had my fair share of blackout moments, but, um, I just considered it socially. Um, and then when I was, um, 23, um, still never had a girlfriend, by the way. Um, And the reason why this is relevant is just because it's not like the, like, poor, well, it is kind of the poor me, you know, I played a victimhood, and you know, I can never relate to girls, um, I need alcohol to be around the opposite sex. Um, and then, when I finally did get a girlfriend, who became my wife who became my ex wife. Um, I thought this was all I could do. I thought this was all I've ever had. So this is the best I'm ever gonna get. And I let it become my identity. So when I was 23, I started dating her. Um, and I had known her since we were 10. Um funny enough, she she used to actually tease me and make fun of me all the time when we were kids. I I don't know what happened when we were adults, but yeah we started dating. <laughs> um, and things just came at me really fast. Um, she had a five-year-old son and things that I'd never even experienced before in my life were just, were just coming at me. Um, and I, I did my very best with stuff. Like I stopped, um, going to the gym. I was really into fitness, but I stopped I stopped playing sports. I stopped hanging out with my friends and I kind of just did what she said. She said she wanted to look into an engagement that scared me to death, but I still did it. Um, um, so we, we got married. Um, she said she wanted me to adopt her son and I, and I loved him. Um, but that scared me to death too. But um, I, I did it because I, I just kept my head down and I did what I was told. And a lot of these things I was not ready for, and I certainly didn't have the self esteem to do it. But I, that's all I knew was just to shut up and just just do it. And um, I don't want to go too much into this, um, but after we got engaged and during the first and during the marriage, it was it was really hard um I don't want to play the victimhood and there's um I've shared this with some people um but um I made I and I want to make it clear I made tons of mistakes I made lots of mistakes and my marriage not working out um I, I I look inwardly but there was there was a lot of hard things going on and there was a lot of physical there was a lot of emotional and verbal abuse and there was a lot of physical abuse too and um um her son was really hard um he he was really physically abusive and um there wasn't anything i felt i could do Um, i was told to just basically shut up and just and just just do what they were just do what i was told and i had it's like every single day i was just so anxious and just so like walking around on eggshells just wondering what was going to happen next and i was scared all the time and um so about two years into marriage um i was still drinking pretty socially although it was getting more um we went on a vacation to california and it was crazy they had liquor everywhere they had it in smith's i couldn't believe it it was awesome it was like Christmas. And so, um, um, I drank, I, I started drinking at nighttime there. And that was the first time in a few years where I actually went to bed feeling calm and I felt really good. And, um, even though I was feeling kind of crappy in the mornings, Um, I said, instead of just being anxious and being up all night and rolling around and letting every single worry go through my head, I said, why, why the hell am I just not drinking every night? Like, what, what are you doing? So we got home from the trip and that's what I started doing. And I started drinking every night and I'll try to speed it up a little bit, but, um, um, I guess I was doing good enough with things that my um, wife at the time wanted to start trying to have a kid. And yeah, I mean, my, my daughter's 100% the best thing in my life, hindsight 2020 that our marriage was really shaky, we should have not been trying to have a kid. But I, I just went along with it. And um, so she did get pregnant, but I was drinking heavily. And it was, it wasn't, I mean, I probably told the doctor, like when I went to my doctor visit, he's like, well, how often? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe like one to seven times a week. No, it was seven times a week. It was, it was every single night. And so, um, six weeks before she was due, uh, my ex kicked me out of the house. And now this was probably like the third time she kicked me out of the house during our marriage. But this time she was due in six weeks. And so um, uh, she, three weeks later, so she called me at 3 a.m. while I was at my parents' house and our, our little baby was born, beautiful little Ella, um, five pounds, 15 ounces. And um, for many years, I'd just been walking around like a zombie, just, just lack of purpose, lack of direction, just, I, I didn't even really know. Like I was just going through the emotions. I didn't even really know why I was still living. And, but that, that did give me more purpose. And so she, my ex let me back in the house, but, um, I slept in the other room in a sleeping bag, um, cause she didn't let me back in the bed. And so, um, and I tried not to go into many details, but this was very common occurrences of our marriage. Um, so I wasn't, I was actually just happy that I could be back in the house and be with my little girl. Um, because of just this newfound purpose, um, I ended up just white knuckling and not drinking for nine and a half months, just strictly because of her. Um, and then, um, as soon as my ex said, Hey, I I think you're good to go. I stopped that day on the way home and, um, went to the liquor store. And so the next couple years of marriage, um, I was drinking heavily again. Um, she said she was done.
0: I wasn't going to fight it. I'm trying to kind of speed it up now. Yeah. We've got about eight, we've got about eight minutes left and I want to hear when you decided to get sober for the, for, for good and, and how things went. So So go ahead. Oh shoot. I I spent way too much time on that. I'm so sorry. No, that's all right.
2: I wanted to spend more time. So basically, for the two years after divorce, it was it it got worse and worse. Like I was drinking during the day, all day, every day. Um, and then you know, people talk about kind of their ground zeros. Um, for me, you know, and everyone's is a little bit different. Um, my ground zero was just, I mean, complete lack of hope. Um, I had, I don't know how long, I mean, maybe physically I would have still gone for a while, but emotionally my soul, I was done. So, um, June 30th, um, 2020, I went into uni, the detox center. Um,
0: and, um, maybe you stayed in the same room I did up there. Oh, it's very possible. Um, the mine first was right across hours, from the main desk. <laughs> what? Mine was right across from the main desk, so um, that was not mine. <laughs> the first forty-eight
2: hours were pretty miserable, and I even convinced myself that, oh, this this has been so miserable that this will just this will be a strong enough impression in my mind that I don't want to ever drink again but it was probably on the third day um, when um, I was talking with one of the counselors and doctors. And um, this is, um, I grew up LDS. I didn't say this. I I grew up LDS, but this put like, uh, this was one of the first maybe spiritual experiences I've ever had where a higher power really enlightened me. Um, He was telling me and that, he um, he goes. You know, every for so long, everyone has been like, "Oh, if you keep drinking, you're gonna lose this. So you're gonna lose this." He put it in the perspective of, "Man, if you stop drinking and you get rid of all these things that are just holding you back, imagine what you can be." And him flipping the switch like that—that that was the spark in my mind that a term that I had heard growing up that I love was being the greatest version of yourself. And that, that was a spark in my mind where I was like, Oh yeah, I I had no idea what the greatest version of myself was, but I sure as hell wanted to find out. (laughs) And that's, and that's what I'm striving for every day today is I, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to try to do what I can to find out. So it didn't happen instantly, but I, you know, I started going to the groups of the detox center. So then when I was transferred over to Brighton Recovery Center up in Ogden, I wanted to get everything I could out of it. Having that motivation and that fire and to feel that felt so good. It was something... That I had never had, that I hadn't had since I was a kid, but I was experiencing it in a different way because the motivation back then was to, you know, with envy and and to prove people wrong. Now it was just full of what's what's my potential and to do this out of just love and the greatest version of myself. And that motivation and that fire, it felt so good that I wanted to feel it as much as possible. So I was. Every group, I was striving to feel that. I was striving to learn from everyone. We watched one video in Brighton and it was it was about a guy who became an Olympian. But when he was saying, when he was in the recovery center, it started there and his dailies, he did it like he was an Olympian. He brushed his teeth like he was an Olympian. He read, he meditated like he was an Olympian. And that, I took that to heart because I said, everything I can do, I can do with this passion and purpose. And I'm fat. And so when I was reading one of the quotes I read, and I, I still struggle with this, but it was how you do something is how you do everything. And I took that to heart too. And so many of these, like, I talked to Randall actually about this pretty recently. So, so much of these quotes and these movies that had been doormat in my mind were now lighting a spark in my mind and they were lighting a fire in my mind. And I wanted to use them. I wanted to embrace them. And it didn't matter if other people thought this stuff was cheesy or didn't like it. (laughs) I used to worry about that all the time. Like, oh, I don't want to act like I like that stuff because I'll get teased. It doesn't matter anymore because they let us know that my recovery is number one and me staying sober is number one. And if me doing this is going to help that, then that's awesome. I don't, you, I mean, find it, find whatever it is. But so I started doing these things that I enjoyed that when I was a kid, I started reading self-help books again. I was told when I was an adult, how stupid those were. It doesn't matter because this stuff helps me. And this stuff helps me stay sober. So reading "Man's Search for Meaning" by Viktor Frankl while I was in Brighton's recovery center, that was huge because he says, you know, man, meaning—you can find meaning in everything you do. And if you're—he was bound to be in the Holocaust. Basically, it's—it's it's a man, a Jewish man who is who is in the Holocaust and still found meaning in that. Um,
1: Andy. Where did that, we have a few minutes left. Where did that spark in that fire? Where are you today? Because of that.
2: Wait, sorry, where, what?
1: Where are you at today because of that spark and fire?
2: Well, and see, that's, I mean, I have good days and I have bad days. But, um, you know, I wrote in my journal last night, the more I allow the motivation to take me and to build off, the, mo- the further I get away from wanting a drink and the more the, the motivation carries me into the next day. And so what I require today, what I require tomorrow might be completely different than what I require today. But if I'm spiritually in tune and if I'm doing what I can, and if I'm reminding myself to be the greatest version of myself then I'm going to at least be able to recognize what I need. And um, there's there's a few, I sorry, I spent way too much time on the backstory. And I didn't, I didn't realize that. And I apologize because I wanted to get way more into the stuff I'm doing now. Um, a couple things, um, being able to like truly like feel love for like everyone I'm around and wanting to serve them is, gives me so much happiness. And it's something I have never had my entire life because I was, I was always so selfish. I was always such a victim and finding purpose and meaning in, in wanting to be around others and embracing them and being positive with them. And Ian at FTR talks about this, but You know, when we were drinking and doing drugs and growing up, I was always that that person in the corner that never felt like they belonged. And instead of being bitter about that, like I was, I now am so grateful for that experience because I can be I can use that to to try and do my best to not make anyone feel like they're that person. Because when they're that person in the corner, they're gonna want to drink and they're gonna want to do drugs, and That's so if I'm in the room with someone, I don't want them to ever feel like that.
1: That's what I get to embrace every Saturday that I see you. Yeah. It's all coming together.
0: Yeah, you are. You uh, you were right when you introduced him as being a real inspiration. And even though you feel bad about the fact that you focused a, a good half, a good part of this half hour on the negative the positive here at the end has been just tremendous to listen to. So thank you very much for being a guest here today.
1: Yeah, Andy, and I actually, I adored you before, but to be honest, the whole, the parts that you did express, I adore you even more now today, all that vulnerability and your story. And I truly hope you continue to share your story. You have a lot of things to say that a lot of people need to hear. So I am super honored and I'm super proud of you and keep being you, all of you.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And you can watch this on, on YouTube, you just Google Odyssey House Journals, or you can listen to it on uh, Spotify, iHeart, iTunes. Uh, so it's pretty much available everywhere. Final thought, Andy, quickly. I mean, um. Uh,
2: I wrote down so many notes last night and I haven't looked at my notebook at all. Um, but, um, um, I even, I, I mean, I'll just, um, there's, I'm just so grateful to been asked to be on this show um, and be on this podcast. And I'm so grateful for all the connections and relationships in my life. And, um, I'm just so grateful to be grateful and to be (laughs) able to constantly know to keep my ego down. And by that, I mean, I can embrace so many relationships and learn from everyone and continue to grow. Um, I don't know how to, like the, I still have really bad days. I don't know how the switch happened. Um, 11 months ago, I was almost dead in my soul, but I'm really grateful just for the opportunity to feel so alive and feel so passionate and to feel so much love for other people. And I want to keep doing it every day. Cause the more I do it every day, the further I get away from where I was at this point last year. And hopefully then the more opportunities I get to serve others because that's what brings me so much love and peace. And I do feel like brings me closer to the greatest version of myself.
0: We are grateful for having you on this podcast. I hope you continue with a positive outlook like that. You made my life more positive just by listening to you today. So thank you very much. Thanks, Rach. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for watching Odyssey House Journals.